Blue balls, Duke. You guys almost ready? Come on, we're gonna be late. Chris, I can't believe it, man. We made it to 100 episodes. I am so excited to be attending our 100th episode extravaganza party tonight. And you couldn't ask for better weather, huh, pal? The sun is shining, the birds are chirping, and nothing but blue skies. Oh, yeah, it's just an absolutely beautiful day. I can't wait to party tonight. Blue balls, dude, get in the car, man. We gotta go. Let me just grab the mail quick before we go. Oh, my God, look at this. We got a first piece of fan mail. It's addressed at 13 BTC Boulevard. Yeah, this is for us. Open it up. Read it. What's it say? All right, let me, <laughs> let, me, uh, let me take a look here. All right, let's see what we got. Dearest losers at 13 BTC Boulevard, I have had the misfortune of listening to your program for the past three years. And like most that have listened to your show, I have been completely disgusted, nauseated, and offended by everything I've heard. It's come to my attention that you two are throwing a feeble little 100th episode extravaganza party tonight. That's almost laughable. What kind of sick, twisted individual would show up at that? I'm sorry to have to cut this letter short, but I have an extravaganza to get ready for. See you boys. Tonight, yours truly, The Listener. a couple of weeks between episode number 99 <laughs> to being here today recording episode number 100. We had some technical difficulties and uh, some motivation issues along the way, but nonetheless, pal, here we are. We made it to episode number one double zero. Congratulations, bud. <laughs> this may be the worst motivation issue we've, we've actually ever had. Uh, and go figure that it was right before the 100th. Yes, episode. I mean, we had an initial goal of releasing episode number 100 on All Hallows' Eve, if I recall correctly, Chris. <laughs> that did not come to fruition at all. No, it did not, but we are here nonetheless. Yes, we are. And, you know, one of our favorite sayings around here at BTC is we like to go backwards in order to go forward. And that's exactly what we decided to do for our 100th episode. I know you have a favorite episode that we recorded, and you came to me with this idea, and I said, this is just a phenomenal idea. Because, at least for myself, I need to go backwards to listen to our old episodes to try to grow from it and basically try not to do the things that I was doing in the past. Chris, you came up with this idea, and I was forced to go back into the archives and listen to myself to be a little more specific I had to go all the way back to episode number 37, which was recorded nearly two years ago to the day. But tonight, we are revisiting your favorite case, The Watcher. Yes, and uh, I, it was befitting to bring this case back, not only because I just loved it, but, well, if you uh, have been... Flipping through the dials and uh, fancy yourself a Netflix episode, or seven, you probably have seen the very popular 
the Watcher series that has been released. This has brought this case back into the light tenfold. So much so that the neighborhood where the original home is located has gotten overrun with tourists that wanted to check out the actual house that this case took place in. And <laughs> needless to say, nobody likes a crowded neighborhood, especially when you're in the suburbs. So it has pissed off quite a few people. But tonight, we are going to focus on the case, the real one, and the miniseries. Because there are, uh, well, <laughs> while there are some similarities, there are a ton of differences. I believe this was, an, and uh, I'm using the word loosely based on the true story, but uh, you couldn't get any more loosely based uh, than, than they actually were. In fact, I think they're hanging on by a mere thread. <laughs> You're absolutely right, Chris, because you told me about this show and I started watching it, but I immediately got turned off because the main character who plays the dad, I'm not a big fan of his, and I'm, I'm looking up right now, Bobby Cannavale, which, I mean, he ended up winning me over towards the end, but at first I thought that was the older brother from Everybody Loves Raymond. And I was like, this guy just doesn't seem <laughs> like uh, the, the, the type of tough guy that he's trying to portray. And in retrospect, I think he did a good job. So, Chris, should we go back in time and give a brief synopsis of the original case for some of the listeners that may not be aware of the story? Oh, The Watcher. The case dates back originally to uh, June of 2014, which is when the Brodises purchased the home and had begun renovations, which is when they received their first letter in the mailbox. The house is located in Westfield, New Jersey, which is accurate to not only the real case, but the Netflix series. The Brodises had purchased it with the idea of basically raising their kids to live in this area without having to worry about locking their doors, etc. But uh, little did they know, they were going to receive threatening letters shortly after. Uh, Bill, you mind uh, walking us through that? I'd be happy to, Chris, because as you had mentioned, the Brodises, Derek and Maria, had recently moved into this home in Westfield, New Jersey, with their three children. Everybody seemed to be happy and healthy. That was until the first aforementioned letter arrived. And uh, we should note that the first letter wasn't very threatening. Uh, maybe somewhat bizarre, but not as threatening as the letters would soon become. So let me put on my best watcher voice, Chris, and uh, I'm going to get right into this letter. Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. How did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you? With its force within, 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now. And as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched it in the 60s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies in the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. Now, hold on, Chris. Let me backtrack here. Uh, perhaps it did sound a little more threatening uh, than I had alluded to. <laughs> it starts out nice, uh, but the final uh, 
I will find out. I mean, perhaps this can all be resolved over a simple neighborly chat. Uh, come on over, have a coffee. Yes, I, I don't like the idea of the uh, what lies within the walls. Because as I've mentioned quite a few times on this show, Chris, I live in a house that's nearly 200 years old. And uh, we're going to be doing a renovation on it fairly soon. And I'm going to have to actually go digging deep within the walls of this place. Self-destruct sequence activated. <laughs> Uh, you, uh, let me know how that turns out. <laughs> so who the hell knows what I'm going to find, Chris? I might be the subject of one of our future BTC episodes. <laughs> but in all seriousness, you know, you got a feel for these people. They move into this new neighborhood. Kids seem happy about it. The wife seems happy about it. Derek seems happy about it. This just ends up being a very bizarre kind of problem to encounter. It's certainly awkward to get a letter like this, but for the most part, the letters that they read in that miniseries, I think they're pretty accurate to the, the true letters. Um, they might even be verbatim. I can't remember for sure. But it is worth mentioning that, that they refer to the real family Brodus's as the Brannocks in the show. That's one of the differences that come up. But the letters, I believe, are pretty close. Yeah, you're right, Chris. They're pretty similar, if not word for word. So time went by, right? And uh, I guess they kind of forgot about the letter. And uh, because, you know, they're into their new home, they're doing some renovations on it, they're painting, giving a little bit of a aesthetic facelift. That's when letter number two arrives. But I would say that the second letter that I'm about to read was a tad more <laughs> ominous. In this second letter, the watcher started detailing how he was basically watching every move they were making. Now, let me get into character here, Chris, and uh, get right into this. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the Watcher and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. I am pleased to know your names now and the name of the young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often. Let me break out a character for one second, Chris, because I just want to make a point. Interestingly enough, the Watcher knows everything about them and what they're doing to the house, but actually misspells their last name. Well, let me uh, give you a bone-chilling theory behind that. If they're misspelling their name, that's probably because they've heard it and they're within earshot and that they just guessed the spelling of the name. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. So... Mr. Watcher, or Mrs., or they, or them. Um, Thank you, Chris. <laughs> are quite possibly and likely very, very close by on numerous occasions. Perhaps even living very, very close. Perhaps even living within the walls. Of <laughs> Boulevard. Fuck. Yeah, we don't know, Chris. We do not know. But let me finish. Uh, let me just go back to this letter quickly and see what the hell else we got here. <clears throat> I'm a voice actor, Chris, and I have to, you know, prepare myself mentally and physically to get back into this. So here we go. 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of this house. Have you found all the secrets that hold yet? Will the young blood play in the basement, or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. 
You have changed it and made it so fancy. You are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard. When I ran from room to room, imagining life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then I got old, and so did my father. But he kept watching it until the day he died. And now I will watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. So now, Chris, this has gone from somewhat of a creepy letter to, I would say, now pretty much threatening. You know, you're threatening the children and saying... Essentially, that if they dare go down into the basement, there's a strong possibility that something very bad will happen to them. And this person is also, in a roundabout way, threatening the Brodises because they do not like the new renovations that they're doing on the home. And the interesting thing here, and one of the big differences between the show and the actual case, is that the Brodus family never actually moves into the house on 657 Boulevard. This is all happening while Derek, Marie, and, and the kids sometimes are going to the house and, and uh, are just working on it uh, before they move into it. That's the huge difference from what we see in the Netflix series to what really happened. Because they were actually doing these renovations while they were living in the second home that you had mentioned. The fact that they never moved into this place and were already receiving these threatening messages, I mean, that just adds to the creep factor tenfold. Because now you got to realize the Brodises, they have these three young children. They're about to move into this house. And all of a sudden, every move that they make while they're at this house, while they're overlooking in a construction or painting or whatever they're doing there, every move that they make is being watched there. So now they got to be thinking to themselves, we might not be able to move into this place at all. I don't know that you could possibly feel safe staying in the house at this point until you get to the bottom of it. This person has clearly been saying things. It's not even alluding to it. This person must be within earshot of the house because they're hearing names. They have every right to be suspicious of everyone in that neighborhood, Chris. Oh, absolutely. He did it. And the fact that you really have no leads that it could be anybody, that's got to be wreaking havoc on your mental state. So, Chris, uh, we should discuss some of the other differences uh, between the actual events and the, the Netflix series. And uh, you had just brought one to my attention, and that was uh, something to do with the children. Am I right? Watcher boy. <laughs> I could have guessed that was going to be the name you were going to give me. Ooh, right you be. So in the miniseries, you notice that there is two children... One is a son that's probably roughly, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old. The other is their daughter, who's a teenager. She fancies the security installation guy. And, you know, things get a little heated there and sexual and uh, flirtatious. But uh, I can assure you that's not what happened in real life. Being that the Brodus' children, which they had three of, by the way two girls and one boy, were aged 5, 8, and 10 years old. So uh, there was none of that hanky-panky going on. (laughs) I mean, I thought that was kind of a bizarre twist and turn that they even kind of throw into the show. I mean, if the Brodises are watching this show, 
they're probably pissed off enough with all the inaccuracies. Then they make the children different, and then they have these bizarre, um, like you said, this (laughs) hanky-panky going on. So, (laughs) I mean, it's just kind of a bizarre thing that I thought was kind of unnecessary. I thought that the Netflix series, if they stayed true to the story, I I think it would have been much more interesting. Yeah, I mean, these series now, they like to, you know, throw in that, that like, sexual lore there's like a checklist that they have to throw in there's got to be some sort of suspense something sexual something devious like they they were just filling in all the blanks and the thing that was a little more uh scandalous about the miniseries was that she was like borderline of the age where it would be considered statutory rape it, it's actually referred to, but then, of course, it shot down because they mentioned that New Jersey state law is at age 16 or something, whatever. But it, it went pretty far down that path and got very much involved in the story. Like you said, it's kind of like upsetting because they focus so much on that interaction, but it never happened. Yeah, very bizarre. I thought, especially like what these, like you said, the statutory rape thing, that was just, it wasn't necessary. One thing... We should mention, Bill, if I have your ears. What did you say? Lay it on us. <laughs> is the reference to a man by the name John List. Now, I'm sure you remember the interaction between the father and a man who claims to be an inspector of some sort, where he goes on this long conversation and starts talking about, uh, eventually talking about his daughter and, uh, how they should go to church and this and that. This interaction never takes place, but the name of the guy who the father is suspicious of this person being, John List, is in fact a real person. And he did in fact murder his entire family in Westfield, New Jersey. Now that was creepy. That was very creepy because when I saw it in the show, I had just assumed that it was fake. But when I came to find out that it was real, it was very, very creepy. Now, of course, the real murder case took place way before the Brodus's moved into this house. In fact, it even occurred before Maria, who, as we mentioned, grew up in Westfield, New Jersey, uh, even began living in Westfield. So it predated even her, but still it occurred in that town and it kind of rocked the entire area because as we mentioned before, this place was notorious for being one of the safest neighborhoods and towns in the country. So they're no stranger to some very odd happenings, but Bill, why don't you uh, mention what old Johnny Boy did? Thank you for leaving this part for me because uh, it seems our man, uh, Johnny List, was indeed a mass murderer, and get this, a longtime fugitive. On the fateful day of November 9th, 1971, he killed his wife, mother, and three children in his Westfield, New Jersey home. But get this, remember I said he was a fugitive. He escaped the police and disappeared for nearly 18 years until he was apprehended in Virginia on June 1st of 1989. 
I'm going to warn you, Chris, if you dare look up this guy's mugshot. <laughs> oh, boy, I have it in front of me. <laughs> be prepared. This this guy looks like, uh, you remember the movie Mac and Me from uh, when we were kids? It was like the run, It was like a, a cheap spinoff of uh, E.T. Chris, I'm sending you a picture of uh, the main character in Mac and Me, the alien, and you tell me if you can see any similarities between uh, Mac and John List. <laughs> Spitting image. <laughs> I don't look anything like this guy. God, all joking aside, this guy is a, a terrible, demonic human being, and luckily he was indeed found and brought to justice. And we find out that he actually died on March 21st of 2008 due to complications from pneumonia. And uh, I'd like to say good riddance. That was definitely a bizarre twist in the show that I was not expecting. And the guy who actually played John List, that actor, he did a great job. That guy was creepy, especially if you recall the scene when he was running through the underground tunnel. I did not like the portrayal of some interconnecting tunnels between the homes. But uh, we do find out, Chris, that that was yet (laughs) another lie that the Netflix series threw upon us because there was indeed no underground tunnel linking the properties together. But the way they did that in the show was very eerie. So I got to give credit where credit is due. It was effective as fuck. Let's put it that way. (laughs) And I'll tell you one thing. If I'm Bobby Cannavale, there's no chance in hell I'm running down that tunnel after the person in a black robe. Not happening. I don't care if it's pretend or not. Fuck that. <laughs> so, Chris, uh, with, within this series, you have some factual information, but a majority of it is just fictional. But if we're going to focus on the real story, I mean, there's a, a family safety and sanity at stake here, as well as a huge financial burden now placed on Abrodices. So, I mean, this may seem like fun for us to watch on a Netflix series, but the real-life situation, I mean, this has to be absolutely horrifying for this family. And it makes me wonder, were the previous owners that they bought this house from, were they aware of anything like this happening in the past? Or was this just brought about by someone not liking the looks of the Brodus's or what they were doing to the home? At 657 Boulevard. I say Chris. <laughs> At 657 Boulevard. Uh, what's a Boulevard? <laughs> but Chris, come on, man. The, the, the previous owners, did, did anybody have any idea what was going on? Did anybody in this neighborhood know anything? That's what I'm asking you. Well, if I had to make any assumptions here, I, my first would be that, no, they no one ever would have heard of anything. And, and to uh, accuse anybody of that would be an outrage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Unfortunately, that's not the case here because the Woodses, who are the previous owners, O657 Boulevard, (laughs) John and Andrea, they did actually receive letters before, or at least one letter, and they described it as being, in quotes, odd, which uh, that's one way to describe it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But it apparently stated that the author's family had been watching the house for years, which, of course, we know was the same kind of letter, the first one, that was sent to the Brodises. And um, prior to the 
closing of the house, the Woodses actually never say a thing to the Broduses about receiving this letter. Now, I don't see anything about them getting multiple letters or anything that was threatening. And who knows? I, I mean, I don't know if we have any knowledge of the Woodses uh, doing any work on the house because I think that aggravated whoever the person who's writing the letters was because they were starting to make changes. So that, I think, kind of incited a little bit of anger from whoever was, was writing the letters. So who knows why the Broduses maybe were getting more letters and more threatening ones, but this actually gets to become some sort of a legal complaint from the Broduses because they're basically demanding that this house or perhaps that the sale be voided. I, I mean, and maybe getting their money back because they want a reason as to why they were never told about this, but it, it doesn't really help them out in the end. Yeah. Because I mean, that's just something that is such a minute detail, especially if, you know, they lived there for what, almost two decades, right? The woods is, then they lived there for, they lived there for quite a number of years. So, I mean, the fact that they got one letter or maybe two at the most, I mean, it's not something that, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't relay that information. If I'm trying to sell it. <laughs> Would you, Chris? Would you say anything? Uh, nope, never heard of them. Um, <laughs> but we actually have had some interesting cases. Do you remember that one case in New York with the haunting? That house, that house that was declared legally haunted. Yes, that yeah. was down in Rockland or Orange County. They actually, by law, it, it became a thing where you had to state if a house was considered to be haunted. Yeah, right? but that's not what we have it. here. That's not what we have in this case. This is more of a harassment case. Right. I don't think the Broduses have a leg to stand on here. That's a, it's an interesting question. I think if the letters got threatening, and, and they would have to, of course, show proof that they had letters that were threatening... I wonder if you have to disclose that. But if you remember in the show, they're not arguing with a couple that they bought the house from because they, I, I believe they bought it from some sort of like real estate investment company. You see them basically going to their office and saying, you know, we're going to file a lawsuit because, you know, nothing was ever disclosed. But uh, it doesn't play out the same way as it does in real life because they actually buy it from a couple and not, not from a real estate company. Yeah, well, I think they add that real estate agent character. I, I don't know who. What's that? That actress that plays that that realtor from those American Pie movies. She's dreadful. But uh, anyway, I mean, it, the the show kind of adds that character to to just be another avenue to go down. So could it be that the realtor is sending these letters as a way to force the Broduses out of the house and make a profit, causing them to sell the house at a at less than market value and then swoop in, buy it, and then resell it. So there's all these kind of different avenues that the Netflix series wants you to go down. But in reality, the Broduses had to bear quite a bit of financial burden with regard to this house. Oh, yeah. I'll mention, too, because they, in the movie, the asking price on the house is $3.2 million. Maybe today money would have been closer to that, but... They bought the house in 2014 for $1.36 which that's, even today, that's a fucking shit ton of money. But they also put renovations into the house too, so you, you have to factor that into the money that's put into it. Now, you remember in the show that the realtor who they accuse 
of having a relationship with the investigator that they're working with and that the two are in cahoots on trying to get them out of the house so that they can buy it. She fires back at them by writing an article and that article causes a buyer who was basically going to buy the house at the price. I think it might have even gave them a slight profit. That person backs out because the article hits the shelves. So in real life, a local reporter actually discovers this complaint that the Burtises had filed against the Woodses. And this causes the story to absolutely blow up. They receive over 300 media requests and a reporter actually even comes by to sit, sit and try to observe if they can find the watcher in action. And of course, this is going to cause problems for when they come to sell the house. So when I told you that they bought the house for 1.36, then they put renovations into it. When they actually sell the house, all said and done, in July of 2019, it goes for $959,000, which was a huge, huge loss for the Burgesses because of all the money they put into it. That's brutal. Of all the horrifying events to take place, <laughs> that is the most horrifying, Chris. I mean, think about it. They probably lost about half a million dollars. Oh, my God, man. That is deadly. Let's just say their renovations put them close to $1.5 million, and they sell it for under a million bucks. That's a big fucking problem, you know? Like, <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> but let's not end on a, a negative note here, Chris. Uh, was all financial hope lost for the Brutuses? Well, being that their story was so intriguing, and we have probably told you many times on various hauntings and stuff, once a studio or whoever wants to make a movie out of your story... Well, they got to pony up. And because this case gets so popular, they actually have six studios that go into a bidding war to get the rights to the story. And it ends up pushing the deal to seven figures. Oops. Now, I don't know how much of that the Brodus's see because they also bought out rights to the Reeves Weidemann's New York Magazine article, which our original podcast episode was based off of. Which is just so crazy that they ended up using that to do the, the miniseries. But yeah, this becomes a big payday. So, I mean, imagine that helps recoup the losses. Yeah, I mean, best case scenario, they make a few bucks. If not, worst case, at least hopefully they break even. Yeah, man. Having to invest that much money, then having to take a major loss and possibly ruin a good part of your life trying to fight back that lost money, you just gotta hope that this relieves a lot of stress that they you know that they had but i i should mention speaking of garnering attention this neighborhood in westfield new jersey since the netflix series was released has gotten so much attention that 657 boulevard and the surrounding neighbors have been overrun with tourists i mean there's tons of people that want to see the house and it's just become a, a major nuisance for the people that live in the area. Whoever started writing these letters <laughs> has destroyed uh, the fabric of Westfield, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm sure at this point they want to fucking know who the watcher is. <laughs> Seriously? Well, that, that's a great lead-in, Chris. Uh, before we get out of here, I'm going to ask you, pal. And uh, I'm going to go back and listen to episode number 37. 
our original coverage of The Watcher and compare what you thought then to what you think now. But I'm going to ask you, who do you think in your heart of hearts is behind the letter? Who, Chris, is The Watcher? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I have to believe that it has to be somebody that's living next to them. It's got to be a neighbor. But I don't know what neighbor. I just, it's got to be neighbor, though. Hmm. Very astute observation, Chris. Whoa, 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 wait, Bill. Before you uh, go telling me, <laughs> before you go saying, thanks for asking me what I think, Chris. <laughs> what do you think, Bill? Oh, my God. Well, here we are, episode 100, and Chris has finally asked me what I think. <laughs> I think it's just a mentally deranged neighbor with uh, too much time on their hands. And maybe they didn't like the fact that the neighborhood was changing and new people were coming in, old people were leaving. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, my money would be on a deranged neighbor. Yeah, it, it, the, the creepy part is really is just that the person's got to constantly be in range of hearing the Burtises talking. That is the most eerie part. But before we go, Chris, uh, let me ask you this. What is your opinion on the Netflix series? On a scale of 1 to 10, pal, what says you? What did you think of the series? The series was okay. I uh, don't like how they kind of wove in some 2022 uh, political issues. Oh, God. There was a couple um, woke things going on in the show, which makes me believe that that was the only way this was getting released on Netflix, so they had a push that in there but um chris please just hate yourself that means you're a good person (laughs) (laughs) fucking bullshit outside of that though because the original story is so interesting in itself i didn't need all the fluff and distractions and stuff that netflix put in so i think they probably could have done something a little closer Obviously, having the family live in the house was way more creepier than them just occasionally coming by to do renovation work. So I get that part, but there was probably plenty of stuff that they didn't really have to put in. So I I really like the true story more. Oh, spit it out, Chris. On a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give it? (laughs) Oh, the show? Yeah. Yeah, I give it a solid 7. I wasn't expecting that. Jesus, Chris, are you have your beer goggles on? (laughs) <laughs> what says ye <laughs> but uh, uh yeah Chris for me I think if they stuck with the actual story the series would have been much better and that, like you said there was just so much fluff and a bunch of unrealistic bullshit that went on within the uh, series so um I'm gonna give the series uh, I mean it was entertaining to a degree I'll give it a I'll give it a five well, that's it. That's All as far right. as I'm going. And you know what? Hell with it. I'm going to give Bobby Cannavale's performance, I'm giving Bobby a 10. I'm, 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 I'm taking back from what I said about old Bobby before. And I'm sorry for thinking he was the guy from Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> I, I should have done my, my, my due diligence there, and I didn't. Okay, fair enough. But, uh, Chris, I guess we have a listener request coming up next week, bud. Mm. Yeah. And, did you, and, and the most importantly, did you hear what I said next week? <laughs> 
Uh, well, we'll just see about that. Yeah. And we are actually staying in the great state of New Jersey for the third week in a row, if you could believe it. Oh, wow. Plenty yeah. of just shit to go through. Yeah, we are going to be in New Jersey next week. And then, bud, in two weeks, we're heading to my hometown, my actual hometown of Yonkers, New York, to discuss a paranormal entity that resides within the halls of my old school. So be ready for that. I actually get to say your hometown. Yes, and it's going to be true. But, uh, yes. bud, that's it. Let's get back at it next week. Uh, it's going to take me uh, a couple of years to edit this episode, uh, so we'll see how long uh, it takes to get this one out. And I should actually give a shout-out to the article that we use for a majority of our info tonight, and that was from the website History versus Hollywood, The Watcher. History versus Hollywood. I guess I'm repeating myself, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we used, and uh, they did a nice job of laying it out. Let's give the rundown, and uh, we can finally get the hell out of here for the night. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at btcpod2020 at gmail.com, or you can get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram, Between the Cracks Podcast. If you'd like to become one of our lovely patrons, please feel free to do so by clicking on the link in the show notes. So, uh, bud, with all that said, what do you say we wish to find fine people out in podcast land? The fondest. Oh. Affair. Thank you.